Okay. What do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Hello, I am Michael, and Lou is with me as always. Good evening. And you are listening to episode three of the Practical Theology Ministries podcast. And we have gathered together this week to tell you that if you can put God in a box, he isn't much of a God after all. Uh Uh-oh. I have stuff going in the background. Oh, no. If it's not one thing, it's another. And I even told it to stop, and it didn't listen. This is live podcasting right here at its best. So, yes, we want to discuss the dreaded God-in-a-box theology. And as always, we want to make sure we start out with the right thing for the right reasons. So, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jericho, his, I'm sorry, of Jericho, wow, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. (laughs) Yes, I did. And luckily for everyone, it wasn't me who was speaking. So, a couple of things we want to catch. Um... Remember this as you read your Old Testament, first of all. Very rarely do we have the great disembodied voice from heaven. Did you catch that? The angel of the Lord is standing there. See, it's not just the bush burning and then the the fire is speaking. We have a theophany, and I think we have a Christophany because the angel of the Lord is never mentioned in the New Testament, and it is always the one who is speaking as if he were God. So we have Christ standing on the mountain, 
talking to Moses, proclaiming. Now, Moses, Mo, Moses, Moses, Moshe. Yeah. Oh, my God. I keep channeling my inner Kentucky coal miner here. Moses is speaking on the mountain, and he's a little terrified, as he should be, because this is, this is your second lesson for the day. When God shows up, people freak out, and they should. So God promises to deliver his people. He's going to do it through Moses, but did you catch this? Who's going to deliver them? Is Moses going to do it, or is God going to do it? It's God. God is going to do it. Moses, who am I? I'm going to go with you. I'm going to do this. Moses, you're a mouthpiece. You are a demonstration. You may end up being as God to Pharaoh, but that just means you speak for God. You are not the deliverer. God is the deliverer, and that's a key thing we always have to make sure we catch in Scripture. Now, this ends with a good question. Well, they're going to say to me, who is this God? Like, it's, it's, it's our Seinfeld reference. Who are these people? How do we know who he is? What is the name by, what name do I come in? And the name is, I am. Yahweh has sent me to you. Now, why is God named I am? That's a weird name. Now, if you're looking for a name that no one else in kindergarten will have when your kids get older, I'm telling you, there aren't going to be a whole lot of I am's running around. That's the one, huh? Yeah, there, there, there's the one. I mean, I guess there's that dude from the Black Eyed Peas, but that's Will I Am. So you can drop the will and just go with I am, and, and there you go. You're all set, ready to go. See, that there's something I didn't know. Will I am. <laughs> we have just exposed Lou to pop culture, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, this is, a, this is an appropriate name for God, though, because this is what's going to distinguish him and differentiate him. And this is the thing that we want to make sure that we seize on today, because God has a name, and that name helps identify who he is. But more importantly than that, it identifies how he is. And that's an important thing we want to catch on, because... Who God is is one thing. I mean, you're a person, I'm a person, you're a person, they're a person, everywhere a person, person. But God is not like us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His name actually describes him and, and demonstrates some of his attributes to us. And they demonstrate, we got phones going off everywhere. That's part of our, our prayer system, I think, letting us know some, some hopefully good news. But it demonstrates some of the attributes of God and how he functions in this world. And that is where we want to kind of dive into today because our topic is really a, an initial jump off into what we would call theology proper or the, the doctrine of God. Now with that, what are some of the attributes of God. This is pop quiz time. You ready? All right, name me an attribute of God, Lou. He's holy. He is holy. How do you know that? <laughs> his word says he is. His word says he is. And not only that, but throughout the history, this is something we've covered before. Go back in the past episodes and you'll find this. The Part of the purpose of the Old Testament is to demonstrate that holiness. All right, what else have you got? He's just. He is just, same reasoning. Um, connects to his holiness. What else have we got? He's sovereign. Ooh, he There's is sovereign. Awesome word, right? Yes, he is the ruler. He is king of creation. Everything comes from him, which is important because is God part of the creation? No, he's outside of he it. He is outside of it. Now, what's our, what's our big fancy term to describe a being with no beginning and no end? Mm-hmm. A being with no beginning and no end. See, this is, what, this is always fun. If you're not quite onto the term, it's going to be obvious, and then it catches you all at the same time. He is eternal. Oh, okay. That's, 
So here's our fun question. That's what I thought you were going with this. Yeah, it's just, just go with it. This, this is half is the fun. This is live podcasting, folks. Hey, this is half the fun. Now. Eternal. He's omnipresent. He's, yes. See, now we're getting the brain cells warmed no up. beginning and no see, end. See, this is what happens when Lou thinks we're doing one pod- podcast and we're doing a different one. Yeah. <laughs> He's a week ahead, so Lou is going to be jacked up and ready to go next I, week. I was born at night. Yeah, <laughs> just not last night, right? right. Now, <clears throat> so here's our fun trivia question. Who made God? He always existed. And see, and this is our diving point into our theological doctrine of the day. The self-existence, or the, got to say it with a stiff upper lip like you're British, the aseity of God. The aseity of God. There's one to impress your friends with, right? He is the first cause, but yet he has no cause. See, brain melting out of your ears. God alone possesses the property of what we call self-existence. He is the only being in creation. Well, I can't say he's in creation because he's outside of creation. He is the only being, period. We're just going to stop it right there. That possesses life in and of himself. So by comparison, like I'm alive. I'm talking to you. Lou is across from me. He is alive. Do I derive that life from myself? No. No. It's impossible. I get that life from someone else. God gives that to me. Now, can I give you something that I do not have? Absolutely not. No. This is part of the understanding of God. He can give us life because he himself possesses it. Right. Like my wife and I can have children. I cannot create a life. Right. And and the lives that God blesses us in, in childbirth and childbearing, all of those things, the lives that we have are not something that we create, create out of nothing, ex nihilo, like God himself created all things out of nothing. See, and this is important because notice one thing we're not doing. This is, we're going to take a quick little exit ramp. We are not attempting to prove God to you because I don't have to. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So there was nothing save for God, and then everything is here. Scripture spends absolutely zero energy, effort, time, or space attempting to prove God to anyone. It just doesn't do it. It doesn't need to. Why not? Because Romans 1, Paul seizes on this idea, and and he rightly says, You know. You just know there is no rhyme, reason, or purpose for me trying to prove God. You know deep down in your hearts. That's why you're so angry and bitter about your sin, because you know you're going to be judged. And when Paul gets to this, when Paul gets to this to, con- to condemn people in, in chapter 3 in Romans, what does he come back to? He comes back to the Old Testament. Psalm 14, the heavens are declaring there are none righteous. You know, I'm sorry, Psalm 14 and Psalm 19. You know that he's there. You know that you are guilty before him and that his wrath abides upon your sin. I don't have to prove that to you. Right. If you want a proof of this, I've used this example in Sunday school and in sermons many times over the years. Go just look up Ray Comfort videos on, on YouTube. It's hysterical. It's, you know, New Zealander with a microphone. He's like, if God were to judge you, and the people always say the same thing, I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And after a while, they stop arguing with him because they they do. do. They do. And they know that they do. So general revelation, the creation all around us speaks of a first cause, a God who's created all things. Life is too complex. Even even the most... uh, minute of creation you know like the the, the 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 human cell or the dna of a human being is so complex 
There's just no way. And, and again, we'll go back to Ray Comfort. He, he brings out this beautifully illustrated book, and he said, what if I told you that this book fell out of the sky, completely illustrated, as beautiful as this is? What would you say? You'd say I was crazy. Well, it's the same thing with the human body and, and, and the DNA. DNA is the blueprint of life. And it's too complex. It, it, it has to have a creator. And that creator exists outside of us, before us, after us, and we owe our lives and existence to him. Now, that alone is enough to cause worship. But there's more to this because if what I have just stated is true, and according to scripture it is, then that means am I the master of my soul? Absolutely not. You mean I'm accountable to someone else? That's right. I have a responsibility to someone else. Absolutely. See, we get this in history. You know, you know, we get this with movies and in concepts that if someone saves your life, you, you kind of owe them like at least a thank you and a handshake, right? Right. Well, what do you owe to the person who has given you life? Everything. <laughs> right. But, you know... Creation. We are created in the image of God. We are created for relationship where everything that we do should bring glory to Him um, because He is sovereign and He has given us all things. Now, that giving means again that we have a responsibility in how we exercise them. So, can I just go out into the creation as ever I want and do whatever I want to it? Well, you could, but there will be repercussions. Right? I mean, we can't, we can't just do that. There, there, is, there is a God who will But judge. why not? I want to, want to, want to, want to, want to. Now I'm pouting for those of you who can't see. Because you can't. Because I said so. <laughs> there, yeah, but see, but you don't have dad. any authority. There's the inner dad. Um, yeah, you don't have any authority. Who is the ultimate because I said so? God. God is. God see, so. If you want to understand what is wrong with humanity, process how we are wrong in relationship to God process how we are no longer following his precepts, his commands, and his instructions because he has given them to us for our good. Wait a minute. Those things are for our good? They're not to to stifle any fun that we might want to have? No. Define fun. See, see, this is, this is always the fun part. See, no, God's commandments and precepts are given for our good and for his glory. Now, ultimately, if God is the eternal one, he is the one who in and of himself possesses life and existence, and he graciously provides that to us, then it is incumbent upon me to seek the best possible thing in the universe. Now, if everything I've just said about God is true, then he is that best possible thing. Or as um, Anselm of Canterbury put it, God is that then which nothing greater can be conceived. Yes. And do, do not try to pull your brain muscles trying to figure out that sentence. Grammatically, it's a mess. But in a nutshell, imagine the best feeling ever. God's better than that. Imagine the greatest thing in the universe. God is better than that. Imagine the best dessert and how that makes you feel. God is better than that. He is that than which nothing greater can be conceived. So anything you could possibly imagine is the best thing. Cheesecake? He's better than cheesecake. Even homemade Italian-style cheesecake that's so dense and thick you don't even need a crust. 
Mm. Okay, hang on. I need you know a minute. I'm going after this. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right, back to reality. Ooh, but God is better than that cheesecake. He's, he's finite. We're infinite. Our minds cannot... No, you get that backwards. Yeah. That's he's infinite. We're yeah. finite. Yeah. See, you're, you're listening. <laughs> Someone's so, got to. So we can't even comprehend how vast his goodness is. No, and that's part of the point of what Anselm is getting on about. Right. Now, if that is the case, then... Everything that rightly glorifies God is good for me because it is putting me in alignment with the best thing. So, as God gives me the commands and precepts on how I'm supposed to live my life, they are not meant to, you know, stifle my fun from 1960s theology. If it feels good, do it, man. It's not meant to take away from that. It is actually meant to put that quote-unquote fun in a context that is best for human flourishing. Yeah, when I was studying the three, three uses of the law, I started to, to realize that the law demonstrates, it's like a mirror that Im, it, it reflects all of the, 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 the precepts of God. It, 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 it reflects his holiness, his, just, his justness, um, if that's a word. And, it is now. And um, when we participate, when we, when we imitate God by doing what he has sent us here to do, then we partake of the things that are the communicable uh, attributes of God versus his incommunicable. We're not omnipresent. However, when we participate in keeping his commandments, not for salvation's sake, but as I want to imitate Daddy, um, that is how we we walk in relationship with God. That's how we demonstrate um, a, a righteousness that is alien to us. Um, and see, and that's the key. We have fallen short. This again goes back to Psalm 14, Romans 1, Romans 3. When, because we have fallen short, we are in need of a, redeem, a redemption. Now, because God, the eternal one, the one who is capable of giving it life because he in and of himself is life, when he sees his creation in that estate, he immediately sets into motion his plan for that redemption. Now, that does not make us innately good, not in the here and now. It makes us good as Christ is good. That's the alien righteousness. In Christ, I am not good because I am good. I am good because his spirit is good, and that dwells in me. And as I stand in Christ, I stand identified by Christ, who is good. Now, that's justification. Now, I then begin to, because I have a new heart, new nature... I have new actions, so I seek to align more and more with that best thing, which is the life-giving, life-preserving God of creation. That's my sanctification. I reorient my mind away towards my away from my past sinful tendencies towards my new godly tendencies, and I continue that process until either God comes back or God calls me home, in which case I now get into the process of glorification, in which case now I actually am completed. Now I actually am good. I am Adam and Eve before they ate the fruit. I am now standing in the courts because of the work of Christ and I myself have now been transformed so that I can, I only now seek to glorify God because that is the best thing. And this is because of who he is, 
not just because of what he does. What he has done is a byproduct of who he is. And look, I'm as guilty of, any, of, any, as the, of this as anybody. I tell people we should praise, we should pray, we should sing songs of worship because of who God is and what he has done. What he has done is secondary because it flows from who he is. And this is part of the, uh, the secret handshake of Christian worship, is orienting your worship around who God is is first because if it's only a matter of what he has done then the question is do you actually love the god who has saved you this is like when your kids were apologizing when you caught them lying or something when they were little they weren't upset they did something wrong they were upset they got caught caught. like do i love god because he's god or do i love god because he saved me one of the things that i started to realize when i started to um, study the doctrine of grace um, is that God knew that we were going to fall and he established a means of salvation and reconciliation before this world had even been created. And so with that in mind, I mean, you, t- you touched on it a little bit, but there's this alien righteousness that he imputes to us. But before any of this happened, think about it. He provided a means of salvation. He knew what was going to happen, and he had already had that off at the past because he is our Redeemer. He is the great I Am. Yes. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who created you. I am the one who redeems you. He is the only one to redeem us. Well, and he's the only source. That's um, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right. No one comes into the Father but by me. Sorry, Lou and I just jumped in, the, in our little studio because we have a metal roof above us and the snow slides down and scares the tar out of you on occasion. We're the joys of January in northern Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> we get the random snow and ice and it melts and makes us both jump through the ceiling. So, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When Peter is preaching, what does he say? Acts chapter 4 <laughs> that there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. It is the only way that people can and do come to God is by Christ, which is whose plan? It's not our plan. It's God's, it's plan. God's plan. The lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. This has always been God's plan. This has been the, the way he has organized and ordained things. This is what he does. You've, you've said it before. He's the only hero of the story. Yes. We, we as human beings, we are constantly dwelling on things. We, we, we constantly do things that are evil and, and contrary to the nature of God. And so when, when you see stories of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, and you see some of the successes and the failures that they had, it, it helps you quickly realize that God alone is the hero of the story. Yes, because he is the one who, watch this, we're going to come full circle now, you ready? Because he is the one who is the source of life. He is life. He is the I am. So your fancy theological term is the aseity of God. And again, if you say it like you're British almost, it it makes you sound smarter and that's always good. So now we're going to transition a little bit because there's, there's the doctrine. Now we want to try to make this make sense. And our starting point with that is something that I think is important hermeneutically, in other words, how we read scripture, but it's also important humanistically, meaning how we live our lives. And that is God is not defined 
by our existence or ideas. God is defined by his existence. And that's, that's a tough little thing that we don't always like. And, here, and here's what I mean by that. We like to define who God is according to us. We can't do that. Two famous examples of this. We'll see if Lou knows the secret handshake of this. You ready? We're going to put him on the spot. Uh, again? All right, again, this is half the, Look, don't you know by now I live for this? You live for this. I, I do. Can God make a rock so heavy that he himself cannot lift it? No. Now, why not? See, it's not the answer isn't the part. It's it's the reason behind the answer is the key to this. Because I'm sure you've all heard this one before, and you sit there and go, "Well, I don't know, can he? I'm confused." Well, he can do all things. Yeah, he can do all things. No, 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 no. See, but God's omnipotent. He is all powerful. Mm. But God is limited, and this is why we started with the idea of a box. See, people are like, well, you can't put God in a box. You're right, I can't. But do you know who can put God in a box? God can put God in a box because God is limited by his own nature, actions, and holiness. See, so we started this. What was the first attribute you came up with for God? He is holy. holy. See, that's important. Can holy beings lie? It's not in their nature to do that. So no. therefore, God has a limitation. God can't right. lie. Can a holy being cheat you? No. No, see, that, that was, what was your second one that you came up with? He was just. Just, right. See, he's righteous. Yeah. So God has limitations. Here's, here's my favorite one. Can a holy being murder you? No. No, because a murder is an unjust, unrighteous killing. Right. And by definition, if God is ordering the death of another person, it is just and it is righteous. We don't often like to look at that, that reason why God because this is this is one of the biggest things that God yes. that the people level you know level at God you know you murdered so many people you ordered the people of Israel to murder people but like you said God is just he has his reasons those people for hundreds of years were sacrificing their children God let their wickedness fill up yeah. And he tells, he tells Abraham that in Genesis 15. The reason why the Israelites must wait 400 years before they inherit the land is because the sin of the Canaanite is not yet fulfilled. Right. It's not time for that judgment. So this is what we're highlighting here is this is what it looks like when you try to reason God from a human understanding. Right. We, we try to describe him in our terms. Now, we will use human terminology to describe God. What we call that is anthropomorphic language. Um, and anthropomorphism is assigning human characteristics to non-human entities. So Bugs Bunny cartoons are an anthropomorphic um, enterprise. Rabbits don't talk, sing, dance, and mess with the hunters. But Bugs does. Why? Because we give him human characteristics and abilities. Right. That's a good example. example. See, see, wabbit season. Sorry, (laughs) we won't go there. So when we do this with God, we have to in some way because we have to explain or we have to attempt to explain God in a way that we can understand. So let's show you the flaw in the argument and how this works. So God cannot make a rock so heavy that he himself cannot lift it. And there's a perfectly logical and rational reason as to why he can't. God is infinite. Now, God is powerful. So God is therefore infinitely powerful. Therefore, there is no weight God cannot lift. A rock, by definition, is a finite object. Can a finite object be infinitely heavy? No, No, it cannot. The question logically makes 
no sense. It reveals more about the person asking it than it does about what God is or is not capable of doing. The other one is just like it. Well, okay, your God's so smart. Can he make a square circle? Another. No, no, he can't. No, because a square is a square and a circle circle is a circle. circle. You You can't actually violate the logical category. Because if you take a circle and you make it a square, it's now a square. If you take a square and you make it a circle, it's now a... Circle. Circle. So no, this is ridiculous. Well, there's stuff God can't do. Duh. And that's a theological term. Duh. There are lots of things God can't do. He cannot lie. He cannot cheat. He cannot steal. He cannot murder. He cannot covet. He cannot bear false witness. He cannot be wrong. He cannot contradict himself. He cannot deny his existence. He cannot deny his own will. He cannot fail. There are all all sorts of things God cannot do. Now, who made those boxes? Because I didn't. God made those boxes. And they are because of not what he does, but what he does is because of who he is. So all of those things that God cannot do are direct flowouts from who he is in his core nature. So his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his love, his mercy, his wrath, his power, all flow out of the essence of his being as God. And so these things are limited because they must be in function, in unity, and in harmony with all of his other attributes. So this is why we make apology for God because what happens is human beings, maybe I should say sinful human beings, attempt to define God from their sinful human desires and actions. So they see as if I go across the street and I kick in the neighbor's door, and I kill him. Well, you get arrested and we put you under the jail for that. That's murder. Mm -hmm. If God does it, he is judging the sinner because that is his job as judge. It is his duty as righteous, sovereign king of creation, and it is his right as the life giver and life provider of this creation. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, if there is a God, why doesn't he stop all of this? You know, why doesn't he judge these people? He does. And, and, and you know, my response sometimes is like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> it, it happens all the time. And Spoiler because, alert, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he does, he does do that. He, he does interact with his creation. He does uh, provide prevenient um, graces, and he, he helps people, um, he helps get helps people through their daily lives. He gives them hope. And, and most of that hope is, is found in the scriptures. I mean, like you said earlier, it's very rare that you're going to hear an audible voice uh, calling to you and saying, you know, take off your shoes. The, the ground that you're on is holy ground. But God does speak to you through his word. See, and this is what breaks us down is because how do we want God to do it? I want God to do it the way that I would do it. See, this is the breakdown. Whenever, this is, this is one of my rules for scripture and life in general. Whenever we are reasoning from us to God, from bottom up, we are going to get something wrong. Because what we are doing is trying to understand and explain the eternal infinite one through 
finite temporal understandings and language. See, this is why we have to start down. This is why God gives the commands that he does. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. See, now, Right there, we get two things, one good and one that the, the angry atheist fusses about. We get this understanding that God, now there, here's your anthropomorphic language. God's a jealous God. Yeah, Oprah doesn't like that at all. No, but you know what? He should be a jealous God. Why should God be a jealous God? He loves us. He wants, to, he wants relationship with us. And if, 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 if we're running after foreign not, other gods, it's, it's, it's just not according to his nature. I mean, he can't allow that. <sighs> Sorry for the giggle and the crash. I'm spilling my water. Complete mess of everything and stopping the recording at the same time. <laughs> we are having a day, I'm telling you. So, yeah. No, the, but here's the second part of that. Who's the best thing? Oh, it's God. God is. God is now, why did your parents tell you to get good grades and study and do better than they did? Because they wanted more for you than they had. They wanted the best for you. What does God want for his, for his children and his creation? He wants the best for them. What's the best? He is. He is. Right. Therefore, he wants that relationship with you, with him, because that's the connection. So that's why he should be a jealous God. But what is this whole visiting the iniquity thing? It means God's going to punish my grandkids if I'm mean to him? <laughs> you should see the look. Oh, you should see the look of disappointment and fatherly scorn I just got from Lou. Oh, if we could bottle that, we would solve crime in America. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. the, the answer to my, to my silly question is no. But if I'm a person who hates God and shakes my fist at him, what am I going to teach my kids how to do? That's, that's where I was going to go with this. I mean, um, our, our kids are like little sponges. Whatever they see us do, whatever they, they hear us say, they're going to do and say the same thing. So if you are a hater of God, if you are one who shakes your fist in the air and says, I hate you and I don't believe you exist. <laughs> <laughs> we wonder why our kids are the same boat. Our kids are going to do the same thing. And they're going to have the same, they have the same questions. But the reality of it is, is people who hate God and want to pretend that he is not he doesn't exist they aren't looking for the answers therefore they can't give them for the, to their children and so the children have the same problem the iniquity multiplies and there's how the iniquity gets passed down now with that we have our second clue God has given us an instruction and if you've noticed we keep going back to this we keep going back to what to understand God scripture why do we keep going back to Scripture on our explanation of who God is? And I, my favorite answer is Second Peter. So, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Peter's telling you what? We didn't just make this up. Right. We saw something. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received glory and honor from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's talking about the transfiguration. Mm -hmm. When he was standing there and Moses and Elijah and Jesus is glowing and you can see the, the glory of Christ even in a still somewhat veiled sense. And you realize, 
oh snap, something important is going on here. And then you hear God speaking. Now, if you had seen and heard this, this, is, this would be the thing you communicate, right, until the end of time. This is what you would go back to, is that we've got a God, we've seen him on the mountain, he's, he's right there, guys, here he is. But Peter continues. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Know this first of all. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. See, there's your key. Peter has seen this. Peter has heard the voice. He knows that he knows that he knows. What's more important? Scripture. Scripture. Scripture is more important. Your Bible. He's talking about the inspiration of Scripture. And and we we keep talking about the commandments here. And, And in the first century... We talked about this a little bit last podcast, but in the first century, the word of God was the Torah, the, uh, the Psalms, uh, the, it, the prophets, all of those things. And what, what, what did we see represented in the transfiguration? We've seen Moses. The law. And? Elijah, Elijah the prophet. The prophets. It, it's, so, it, it's so amazing how full circle things are uh, and what a witness that we have in Christ. And that's the key thing. And that's what Peter is pointing back to. God is understandable somewhat because he has made himself understandable by giving us a special revelation of himself. We, we referenced general revelation earlier. This is, the, this is the understanding that there is a God. Why we don't bother to prove him. You look out and you, you know. You just, you just know. To not know is just folly. But beyond that, that God that you know is out there has explained himself, his creation, you, how those things are broken, how they're going to be set right again, and what you are then supposed to do as you move forward. Right. In other words, he has left you without excuse. Right. And, and one of the things that we, we didn't really bring up last week in the last podcast when we were talking about scripture um, is the fact that how soon the early writings of of Christ started to to, yes. to come about. Um, many of the other writings from, you know, all the other ancients, they came hundreds of years later, and they don't have m- nearly as much uh, manuscript attestation as the New Testament does. No, I, I, I think I made mention that we're more certain of the existence and work of Jesus than we are of Julius Caesar. Yeah, I mean... Now say that in a world history class and watch the strange looks that you'll get. Yeah, they, they will definitely uh, yeah. look at you. We like know. There's a really uh, a dog whistle being blown and they can hear it. Yeah. See, you know that God is there from general revelation, but you know that special revelation is accurate. You know that it's good. And this goes back to the manuscript evidence we talked about a few episodes ago. You know that you know that you know. Now, what does that mean for you going forward? See, because that's the hard part. We've already hinted at some of this. You are not the master of your own soul. You're just not. There is a self-existing God who has granted you life. We have a reason for the hope that we have within us. Yes, and if you don't have that hope, you should have a reason to tremble because you owe this God a debt because he is holy. He is righteous. He is just, and if he is just, then he will do what to every thought and crime committed? They will be judged. They will be. They must be because that is part of him. Now, 
we know because he's holy and just that that judgment will be good and it will be right and it will be praised because just like today, when, when murderers are punished, we go, oh darn, we took another one off the streets. No, we're happy. Right. We're, we're glad you are and we no longer have to deal with this problem. So you know because of this that judgment is coming, that we have a responsibility and that we have a, real, a guide that we should be following that we should be walking in alignment with because it has been given to us by that self-existing, loving, benevolent creator who has cared for us and loved us. And see, and this is where these things, again, we went through this earlier, but this is part of this full circle. Because God is self-existent, because he is self-giving of life, he gives that life to us. He wants what is good for his creation. So when we spurn that life, and we choose sin instead of him, he already has his plan in place by which he will grant that life to his people. Christ, slain from before the foundations of the earth, he became sin who knew no sin so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. So he has taken our guilt, he has taken our shame, he has taken our iniquity, he has taken that all upon himself, he has died the death that we were due, and he is raised to walk in the newness of life as we are in him raised to walk in the newness of life. This is, this is our message, this is our declaration, and this all flows out of who God is at his core. He is the source, he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the one who is and was and is to come. So, have we missed anything? I don't think so. Think See, we have covered it all. You no longer need to worry about this ever again. Yeah. <laughs> but you still need to read your Bibles. Y- yes. See, I say this. Hopefully, you are taking all of these things that we're dealing with in, with, the, with, the, uh, with the intention in which they're given. Lou and I have no delusions of grandeur that what we have just declared is the final word upon the aseity of God and all that it entails. Right. What we have hopefully done, though, is given you a biblical and logical grounding by which you can actually take this into your daily life. See, again... We want to worship God because of what he has done for us. But at its core, we want to worship God because of who he He is. is. If our love for him is only because he has saved us, then we have not beheld the beauty and majesty that is God. Solo Gloria. Yes. We want to worship him for him, not for us. So part of that is knowing his attributes, knowing who he is, knowing how he is, as limited as we can in our understanding. But by seeing this and diving into this, we can actually get a bigger, fuller picture of God. So that as we live our daily lives, we're like, man, God has preserved and persevered through this. God has given me this life. He has carried me through this. I can now see how these things flow out of his attributes, his glory, and I therefore worship rightly. So, recap. What have we learned today, children? God has a name, and that name matters because it describes not just who he is, but what he is. God is the only life giver in existence. There's no other source of life. There's no other source of hope. There's no other source of salvation. And because of all of that, we are responsible to God. We are responsible to him. He will call us to account, and in Christ we should welcome that reckoning because we stand redeemed and forgiven. 
Now, if you think we missed something and you would like to cam- you would like to complain loudly, we welcome that. You can bother Lou at Lou at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can bug me at Michael at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'll let you hunt that down from our website if you'd like. You can like us on Facebook, Practical Theology Ministries. As always, we have other resources, Bible reading, different things, our new uh if I could speak English, our new journal just launched last week will be a monthly resource. The first issue is on the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. There's articles about covenant, um, women's issues, uh, overcoming addiction, Bible study in Colossians, all sorts of good, fun stuff for the building up of your souls in Christ, which is hopefully our goal. So as Lou said, read your Bible. It will do you good. Study, worship, and serve God, and God bless.